Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Talk about the Hawaii response, Mr. President? No comment. 93 people dead in Maui. That number is going to rise. And in Rehoboth Beach, he got asked the question, and he said from his uh, getting into the motorcade, no comment. Now, I'm going to explain this to you in the way that it can only be explained. The reason he said no comment is because he didn't understand the question. He said no comment because he doesn't know what's going on in Hawaii. He said no comment because he is an old man incapable of carrying on a conversation that isn't spoon-fed to him. Not the words from the questions, but the responses. Holy crap. No comment. No comment? It's, It's unfathomable. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. So good to be with you. Find everything at TonyCats.com. He's at the beach. He's at the beach. The death toll is 96. And and I've gotten some some tweets and emails from from you all. I want you to know that I've gotten them. And I want you to know that conceptually, I absolutely believe you. We're not getting told the story at all. We are not getting the full story. We're not getting the full level of detail of what it is that's going on in Hawaii and how bad it is. This is former Congresswoman from Hawaii, Tulsi Gabbard. Those who are still missing, we must continue to focus on on uh, finding every one of those people. There are also so many others who are, are uh, struggling to survive and also looking for what happens tomorrow. They are in in a, in a serious place of struggle. The destruction is in the billions of dollars. It's everywhere. And what do I get from the governor? Climate change. What do I get from Maisie Hirono, the senator from Hawaii? At a moment where we want Americans saying, hey, how are our uh, fellow Americans in Hawaii doing? How can we extend our support? How can we provide our help? Oh, no, no, no. She's not interested in that conversation. She's interested in letting you know about climate change. My gosh, this wasn't climate change. I've got multiple experts who will explain to you that it wasn't climate change. Why in the world is the governor of Hawaii talking like this? Why are you making this political? Can we please save lives first? Can we please, can we please help these people first? But no, 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 Maisie Hirono on CNN. I think that we uh, we very much need to acknowledge uh, that climate change is upon us. There are whole states, by the way, Jake, where you can't even the, you use the words climate change because they still have a hit in the sand attitude. But for example, the Inflation Reduction Act provided some $300 billion to combat climate change and, and to uh, move us away from continuing reliance on fossil fuels. Yes. What happens when your ideology supplants your humanity? I have been asking this question. You know it. You've been right there. We've been doing this together. We have been asking this question for years. What happens when your ideology overtakes your humanity? There you go. Not, hey, the people of Maui, they need pajamas for their kids. 
We've got water. What we really need is blank. No, 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 not that. Oh, climate change. Oh, thank goodness for the Inflation Reduction Act, which Joe Biden himself admits was a lie in how it was uh, named because it didn't do anything to reduce inflation. What happens when your ideology takes over? She's the senator from Hawaii. She doesn't seem to care. Uh, I still don't have uh, good places by which you should... um uh, donate too, but if you have them, send them my way, and I'm happy to to vet them and share them on the show. Um, what's happening in Hawaii is awful, awful. I have got much more coming up. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz today. You won't catch me dead or alive in Fishers, Indiana. They made it into a T-shirt. A serious subject. And an opportunity to engage a very great conversation about going too far in a direction. And author John Green, the author of Fault in Our Stars, a young adult book that in Fishers they're moving out of the young adult section and into the general section of the library. John Green booted it. And he didn't have to. But this is what happens when you allow your emotions to control and dictate your speech. Because John Green has an outstanding platform and has an opportunity to bring about a great conversation to the state of Indiana. And instead, he said, you won't catch me alive or dead in Fishers, Indiana. This is about the Fishers, um, uh, I shouldn't say Fishers, the Hamilton East Public Library Board. And uh, they are pulling, as I said, the fault in our stars from the young adult section. Um, The concept here is the idea of age appropriate. And age appropriate would mean it can't contain sexual content or descriptions of sexual content. Um, There's no doubt there's a sex scene in the book, The Fault in, in, in Our Stars. All of this stems from what's been happening in school libraries. Now, I have long stated that if a school, the parents want certain books not in reach of an eight-year-old, that's totally fine. As a matter of fact, that's rational. As a matter of fact, they're right, and the people who want to put sexually suggestive content in front of eight-year-olds are wrong. They're wrong. The parents are right, and I stand with the parents on every single level about asking themselves in a school library what should and shouldn't be. But I've always said school library. I never said the library. Never brought it up. Remember, when these people talk about book bannings on the left, first, how grossly unserious they are. Pathetic. Because they don't want to have the great conversation. How do I know this? They took this say, this statement from John Green, you won't catch me alive or dead in Fishers, Indiana, and they're putting it on t-shirts because that's great. He really zinged them. Well, good on you. Because zingers clearly are more important than policy that actually is better for our kids and for us as a society. But no, good on you, Democrats and Fishers. You got a zinger in. Oh, so brave. So brave. Do you understand how disgusting and despicable and ignorant and pathetic you look? How you're incapable of rational conversation? Tony, what are you yelling at us for? 
We're not the ones moving John Green's book, which was made into a feature film, into the adult section at the library. Let us discuss the first part first. This is about school libraries and school libraries putting forth content that sexualizes children, that wants to teach them that somehow that trans is a standard and norm, which it is not. Gender dysphoria is a medical condition, a mental disorder, and one that needs to be addressed, and it's certainly not something you celebrate in books to eight-year-olds. On this, parents are right, and the people who want to celebrate a mental condition as opposed to help kids deal with it are wrong. The parents speaking out has been wonderful and glorious and should be respected. And the people opposed to parents speaking out, as you see all across the country, these are the people who should be fought. People like in California who want to push SB 596. It would expand the terms of an existing law that bars parents from disrupting classroom and extracurricular activities where a school employee is is present. And that would include off-campus activities like school board meetings. Translation, you can't read from the books that these monsters want to put in school libraries to sexualize your children. You can't raise your voice to a public official. That would be a crime. Holy cow. As I ask you, Democrats of Fishers, Democrats of Indiana, you okay with that? You're okay with people not having a voice? And the answer is yes, you are. Yes, you are. Not only are you okay with people not having a voice, you're okay with not properly using your voice, which I don't understand at all. You don't want people to be able to speak. And it comes from this place where you think that you're actually good and kind and decent and just. And no, I don't, I don't believe you are. I believe if you want to sexualize children, you are wholly dangerous. I believe if you want to teach children about fisting, you're dangerous. I believe if you want to tell children they can be any gender they want, you're abusive. Nah, we shouldn't have that in the schools. We should fight that. We should fight that with everything in us. I don't mind that fight. I want that. Didn't start this culture war. Damn well willing to end it. Now let's get back to John Green. And let's get back to his commentary regarding what's happening in an in a county library. I guess that's what you would call it. Where they decided to move his book because it has a sex scene in it. Um, the question before us is the idea that whether or not it's age appropriate for, for, for teenagers. I want to make the argument that there's such a thing as going too far. That the parents who have gotten themselves now politically active and are ensuring that the abuse that is thrown at their children and the sexualization that's desired by those in administration and teachers and elsewhere, certainly not all administration, certainly not all teachers, but far too many in administration and far too many teachers, it needs to be countered. It needs to be fought and good on you. There's such a thing as going too far. There's such a thing as parental responsibility. There is such a thing as it's a book and there are books out there with themes and those books are not 
bad per se for kids to read. Because we're talking about a library. We're not talking about the school library. Now, one could argue back, all we did is move it from young adult to general. That's all we did. We took it out of a young adult section. Well, you could say that's not the worst thing in the world. But I think someone like the author, John Green, could say, whoa, 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 whoa. This has been a young adult book. It's always been accepted as a young adult book. The movie got made based on it being a young adult book. What the hell are you doing? Two cancer patients end up losing their virginity to each other. It isn't this this orgy uh, that's taking place. It isn't about sexualization. There's no graphic imagery. It's about, it's, it's star-crossed lovers. Dear Lord, it's Romeo and Juliet. It's however you want to, uh, whatever uh, piece of literature throughout history you want to attach to it. Whoa up is, is what I would say. You are overreaching. I believe that this is indeed an overreach. But let us never forget that this overreach would never take place if the left would just be normal. Stop sexualizing kids, you freaks, you weirdos. Stop thinking that you should tell children they can choose their pronoun. No, they can't. Stop telling children that they can choose their gender. No, they can't. Stop telling children, shh, don't tell your mom and dad. We can keep a secret, can't we? You're weird. You have a windowless van down by the river. Of course you shouldn't be trusted. Of course you should be fought. None of this would be happening if you didn't start this culture war. If you didn't start going after kids, you weirdos, you did this. And then and then you have the audacity to yell at Republicans. Oh, look at them in their culture wars. Kiss off. The parents are right. They're a thousand percent right. And I'm a thousand percent with them. I think they're engaged in overreach on this conversation about John Green's book, The Fault in Our Stars. It's going to happen from time to time as you learn your way because these parents have never been in a position of power before. They've never been in a position to be able to affect change before because they bought into the system. They believed that everything was good and people were in their kids' best interest and their kids were going to learn. And then they learned that these teachers, not all of them, but some of them, these administrators, not all of them, but some of them, weren't in their kids' best interest. As a matter of fact, they are only in their best interest. The kid is a pawn to be utilized for their best interest and the parent must be shut out and shut down. Take a look at the legislation in California and get back to me. Shut up and shut down. That's their belief of parents. Parents can't be trusted. Parents can't know. So I'll always take the side of those people who are being proactive and taking on their school board, regardless of who's on the school board, and having their voices be heard. But yes, the, the, the fight, the culture war fight, has, I think in this case, in the case of John Green's book, has gone too far. Which brings us back to the quote to John Green, who stated, I implore you to walk this awful policy back, which is a fine, fine statement. There's nothing wrong with that. There is something very wrong with saying 
you won't catch me alive or dead in Fishers, Indiana. This was a mistake from John Green. Important, valuable conversations can be had, and that was not it. He then did write a letter to board members of the Fishers, Indiana, Noblesville, Indiana, the, 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 the libraries there, seeking to remove uh, the books from the young adult uh, literature shelves in their libraries. And he, he, he wrote, uh, The Fault in Our Stars is the best-selling book ever to be set in Indiana and has driven considerable tourism to our shared community. I'm also the co-founder and CEO of an e-commerce company and the educational media company Complexly, which empl- between them employ over 115 people, several of whom live in Fishers or Noblesville. I am your neighbor, and I am absolutely horrified by the decision of some members of your board to override a huge body of expertise and deem hundreds of books, including mine, inappropriate to be shelved as young adult literature. He then goes on from there, saying, it's political theater of the lowest and most embarrassing order, and it's an awful way to have Fishers and Noblesville Make national news. As a business owner, I'm infuriated by your third-rate vice signaling that complicates efforts to bring business and talent here. As a parent, I'm disgusted by your disregard for the professionalism and expertise of teachers and librarians. As a Hoosier author, I am deeply offended by your inaccurate and hurtful portrayal of my work. And as a citizen, I am so disappointed that you would use public time and public resources to engage in work that actively harms the public through censorship, de facto, and otherwise. Well, a couple things there. Um, uh, if I think he meant virtue signaling. Maybe he used uh, vice uh, signaling. Um, I don't know if it complicates efforts to bring business and talent here. Again, I always like to see data, but you can argue that they're wrong. And while I may not appreciate the total tenor of his letter, at least he's now addressing the subject directly as opposed to flippantly or glibly because... To put this out, you won't catch me dead or alive in Fishers, Indiana, and people glomming onto that. You didn't make things better. You made them far, far worse. You made them. You made them far worse. You have an opportunity for for utilizing platform. Why not use it? So I'm glad that he wrote the letter after maybe he realized there's a better way to go about doing uh, these things. There are going to be moments of overreach, guys. There are going to be moments of going too far. It's going to happen. Recognize them. Dial it back a bit. Recognize where you're focusing and focus there. That's, I think, the way to do it. That's the way I would suggest doing it. Maybe you'll agree. Maybe you'll disagree. I don't know. Maybe that's what uh, John Green just did. He realized he went too far with uh, that insult to Fishers and brought it back. Now, when you're John Green, it's already out there. It's, it's, it's never going to change. It's out there. It's out there for good. And um, I, I would only uh, hope that he's a little bit embarrassed about that fact. Because one day someone's going to take a picture of him in Fishers, Indiana, and they're going to go, huh? Huh? The fight is worth it. The fight is important. Protecting your children is very, very important. But we shouldn't think that somehow the author can't write or have their works shown. We should recognize the difference between the public library and the school library. And then we should be parents who help guide our kids. I'm Tony Katz. 
It was a $7.3 billion offer. That was the offer from Cleveland Cliffs to buy U.S. Steel, as in, Michael, we're bigger than U.S. Steel, which is, of course, Godfather Part Two, which is, of course, a fantastic film and possibly the best sequel of all time. That's not the story. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. The U.S. Steel rejection of this offer has them reviewing now what they describe as strategic alternatives. What happens when a strategic alternative means dropping the work it does in northwestern Indiana? Did I say hello, Tony Katz? Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Gary Dick joins us from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter. At IIB is where you find uh, the good man right there. I know you sat down with uh, uh, the general manager of uh, the, the Colts there, uh, 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 Chris Ballard. This was a conversation about Westfield and how it works uh, as a place for, for training camp. The Colts seem pretty sold on this. This is the place to be, correct? Yeah, they do. Uh, in fact, uh, it was interesting uh, to me to hear Chris Ballard talk about that facility he feels and he spent time uh with the bears with the chiefs uh among others uh, he thinks it's the best training setup in the national football league uh that's how that's how much they think uh, think of that and they're getting some big some big crowds there i think when we were there last week they had had six uh, sellouts uh in terms of uh, watching uh, uh, practices and uh, workouts there at westfield so uh, I think it's a marriage that started in, I believe it was 2018, uh, that uh, is going uh, going pretty well. Uh, I would uh, not disagree. Everyone seems to be happy. Sometimes you don't know what lies underneath, uh, but for from the surface, it seems to be working. But you you uh, shared with me over the weekend uh, the uh, a possible breaking story, and I wanted yeah. to get the update that U.S. Steel is mulling a sale. Um, that has effects throughout Indiana, but certainly northwest Indiana. What is it that you're hearing? What is it that the latest is uh, this morning? And what are the possible effects? Well, it could be a seismic impact in northwest Indiana, uh, which is uh, such a huge concentration of steel production, has been historically for for more than 100 years. U.S. Steel has confirmed they are uh, examining multiple offers. In fact, just this morning, as you mentioned, Cleveland Cliffs, a steel rival, uh, made a bid for U.S. Steel. U.S. Steel has rejected that that bid, but there are others on the table. Uh, U.S. Steel uh, has been in business in northwest Indiana since 1901, 122 years, 4,500 workers uh, at its uh, Gary Works uh, facility there on the shores of Lake Michigan. So uh, I know in talking with some folks in northwest Indiana uh, over the weekend and seeing some of the news reports there, a lot of, uh, frankly, concern as to what this might bring uh, ultimately as the steel industry continues to involve the uh, U.S. Uh, uh, US steel, uh, certainly an icon in the region. And it comes at a time when northwest Indiana is seeing some momentum with these big projects that you and I have talked about, the extension of the South Shore Rail Line, uh, several other big investments in the region, beginning to get a feeling of uh, of recovery, revival, if you will. 
So uh, this is going to be a story to watch, uh, certainly for Northwest Indiana, but I think more broadly uh, for Indiana as well. The state uh, has been the number one steel producer in the country uh, for over four decades. I think that when we talk about the the area of Northwest Indiana, it, it constantly uh, comes back to the same question. Why isn't it? it a a a more exciting place why isn't it a more successful place why is it that it hasn't uh exploded it has all the reasons to explode it has the proximity to chicago it should be a player but it's not as a matter of fact it is the place where when i first got here i was told yeah yeah don't don't stop don't, if you're if you're going to Chicago, don't shut, don't stop. Make sure you've got gas. You, don't whatever you do. When does that come to an end, and when does Indiana get serious about changing that perception? Well, it's, it's, it's an important question, and, and it's one that a lot of people have been asking for a long time. To be sure, that is literally the gateway to Chicago uh, uh, industry. Uh, there are some some great towns, cities, communities in the region. I think part of the issue. Part of the problem has been there are so many constituencies, if you will, cities, towns, uh, uh, and others that just frankly haven't gotten along. They can't get their act together as a region and, and come together uh, for the for the greater good to do projects and, and, and uh, you know have things uh, happen in a positive way together. Everyone wants their own uh, piece of the action, if you will. Corruption, uh, frankly, has been uh, a big issue in Northwest Indiana for many years. I feel we took the show up there just a couple of months ago. That's beginning to change. Uh, it hasn't changed all the way yet, but some of these projects, the South Shore Rail Line has been talked about for 40 years, I think, uh, is actually happening. Multi-billion dollar projects. We've seen communities, uh, you know, like, like Whiting and, and Valparaiso and, and others making big investments in quality of life. That South Shore Rail Line, they're t- getting people to move from Chicago. You may work in downtown Chicago Come over to live in Indiana, you know, lower taxes, better quality of life. So it's beginning to happen. It's going to be a process. It's going to take some time, but I think the tide is beginning to turn. This U.S. Steel story, though, uh, has the potential to, to have real impact there. Talking to Gary Dick from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. Let's bring it over to Indianapolis. Taylor Swift, three nights. Um <laughs> I mean, we're talking about a a potential of huge economic impact. So here are are the two questions kind of quickly. How much is Indy thinking they're going to see? And how did Taylor Swift decide Lucas Oil for three nights as opposed to doing a night or two uh, at uh, Notre Dame like Garth Brooks did? Yeah. Uh, Dave Lindquist, the reporter, uh, entertainment reporter at the IBJ, had a great piece uh, this week and talking about Taylor Swift's agent, concert uh, planner, uh, if you will, concert promoter, uh, the same as Kenny Chesney. Kenny Chesney's first concert was the first concert at Lucas Oil Stadium. So there's a a relationship, a connection that perhaps helped in this regard. Uh, Economic impact, the federal, there's this, this era's tour is so big, the Federal Reserve actually commented on it in its Beige Book report in, I think it was July, saying the tour is actually impacting the nation's economy. Uh, in the place, especially in the places where it stops, record hotel uh, nights, occupancy in Chicago and Philadelphia and other places. So it, it is a concert, but it is something that's driving some economic uh, impact as well. 
And so it was that connection that brought it to Indy as opposed to um, the, the whether it be uh, a Notre Dame or the, really that was the only other place that it could possibly uh, possibly uh, go. Um, have you gotten your tickets yet? And are you uh, going to now sell them on the black market? Uh, that would be a no and no, uh, uh, Tony. But uh, uh, I heard those tickets are how, how much are they? Uh, four billion dollars, I believe. Four billion dollars uh, for yeah. the criminally insane who feel the need <laughs> to spend four billion dollars on tickets. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Four billion. Did, did I mention with a B? <laughs> with a B, yes. And, and in fact, this tour could be the first concert tour in history to sell more than a billion with a B in tickets. So it's uh, it is big. That's Gary Dick inside IndianaBusiness dot com on Twitter. At IIB, and I wanted to get back to this U.S. Steel thing because while everyone could talk about Taylor Swift, um, it's it's which is fine. Uh, what happens if they decide to leave Northwest Indiana? What is it that we actually need here? You know, you heard Gary Deck talk about Gary Works, which is its largest manufacturing plant 4300 people are employed at this facility that's real jobs and if they decide to drop the plant that's real horror for the state because we live in bloomington or indianapolis or fort wayne or jeffersonville we are not disconnected i keep going over this as a as a point that must be made and certainly has to be understood We are not disconnected. Yes, there are things happening in certain cities where, dear Lord, this is what you vote for. This is what you get. I say this about Indianapolis all the time. You won't vote for anything different. You won't change your opinion, your point of view. You won't. Yet you got this D after your name and you're like, well, it's the only thing I can do is is, is be that D. That's it. That's all I can do. No, it's not all you can do. You can ask yourself whether what you're doing has real value. I spoke with Elizabeth Glass. She goes by Libby. Libby Glass is a candidate for the City County Council of Indianapolis. She's in the 13th District. She's running against a guy who is a socialist by the name of Jesse Brown. Jesse Brown beat the vice president of the City County Council, Zach Adamson, in a primary. They went even further left. She's a libertarian. She's a libertarian. I'm like... How do you get in this race? And, and, and the real question is, what made you decide uh, to run? Well, it started with the primary. I went in to vote and noticed that the, there was only a Democrat running. Um, and that was a little demoralizing. Like, he can't just have um, a, queen, a clean sweep no matter who won the primary. He can't just be just shoe in. So um, who is going to do it? Who's going to... Um, who's going to, like, who can I support? Well, no one stepped up, so I stepped up. And uh, I went to my uh, Libertarian Party members and asked, hey, I want to be on this ballot. And so I won the caucus and, uh, or the convention, and they, we got paper signed, and here I am. So you're, you're, you're there, and 
you've got the the, the website uh, up and your and your stances on public safety infrastructure, lower taxes, and budget transparency on the public safety conversation. Because as much as this could be argued of a conversation about socialists, this also has to be argued about what is it that you see for the for the city. What is your public safety uh, stance? Do you find yourself in agreement with the Hogsett slash Shreve uh, proposals on on firearms, or is it a much different approach? Um, well, uh, libertarians are usually very pro 2A, and I'm not any different. Um, the measure that was passed, it was kind of like a, a little bit of a virtue signal. It's like they can't, it's the state law. So I'm not going to have any purview over that. I'm not sure exactly how many hours they spent writing that legislation, which are that ordinance. So um, that's a little bit annoying that they wasted that time because they can't really do anything. Um, as for my public safety um, platform, I would like to bring everyone back into their communities. You know, I want communities to band together and work with each other and the police and make them more of a, a like it was you know, in Mayberry, my pastor's doing Mayberry stuff right now. And so like, I want everyone to know each other and to be in a a community again, because we're so disconnected uh, through the 15 years since social media started, we've been more and more disconnected in the last three years have just made it worse. So I want us to get back to the group. I don't think she's the only one discussing how Social media is ripping people apart. I'm just glad she's talking about it. Elizabeth Glass, she goes by Libby. Libby, number four, libertyin.com. Libby, number four, libertyin.com. Um, I, I want people getting involved, right? I want people running and saying there's something I can do uh, about these things because it's the same conversation. We are indeed connected. You take somebody who has really no political experience it would seem you know that was our first time talking and and we're going to talk again hey there's only one person on the ballot hey we should do better than this hey we should be connected it's the same conversation as as when we when we see what's going on with the idea that gary you know what happens if they lose u.s steel it affects us. It affects Indy. It affects Bloomington. It affects Fort Wayne. It affects all of us. What happens in Indianapolis affects all of us. And I get, I really do get that if you live uh, elsewhere, you're like, what do I care? Like, like how, how exhausted are the people of, uh, let's say, Savannah to hear about the issues in Atlanta? But the issues in Atlanta affect the people in Savannah, Georgia. Of course they do. Now, Atlanta still has to figure its own stuff out, and those people have to want to make a change, and eventually people will tune it out. But the effect still happens. We have seen so much bad out of Gary and Hammond, so much inability to grow that people go, oh, whatever, it's just, that's what it is. That's all it is. It's just, but we still deal with the effects. A bad downtown Indianapolis, a bad capital city, we all deal with the effects. And Hoosiers need to demand better. So they got to be paying attention. They got to go outside comfort zones. And yeah, there are Democrats in Indianapolis who have to realize, 
I'm not going to be voting for some guy who's a socialist who we already have horrific issues with crime. This guy doesn't want policing at all, or does he? Or maybe maybe someone should ask a question. I better vote for somebody who believes in working with the police, making things better, as opposed to just getting rid of the police because all that defunding stuff didn't do a damn bit of good. Gotta, we got to be engaged. Got to be engaged with everything that's going on in our state. It's the only way to make our own lives better. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. And people like you is I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is. Lord, it is living in the new world with an old soul. The rich men nor the rich men, Lord knows they all just want to have total control. Wanna know what you think. That song has just taken over. Rich men north of Richmond. This guy has taken over. Oliver Anthony is his name, and this song just captured attention. It's the working man's ballad. Someone, I forget who described it as the perfect capture of populism. Maybe. Maybe. But when you see the reaction to that song, which we have up at TonyCats.com, you realize exactly how many people are connected. You realize exactly how powerful new media is. And you realize maybe mainstream media is losing control because they weren't going to play this song, now were they? Find everything at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.